Day. Um, for those of you online, obviously I'm not Pastor Kevin. My name is Marcus. Um, I'm an elder here and I'm the men's ministries director. And I've been tasked today to uh, speak. So with, with them in, uh, in South America doing some missions trips, um, we get a little bit of time to kind of just come together and have a conversation. That's what I, what I hope this will be, is a little bit more of a conversation so that we can learn from each other. Right. So as you can see from behind me, you know, did you know that the church is a family? We, we like to say that, right? We like to say that the, well, I have my church family. But what does that mean? To some people, that means a group of people that I don't really like and don't really interact with that much. But I see them once a week and I put up with it. To other people, it's a social network, right? It's a structure that they can lean on to uh sometimes used to their own benefit. Hopefully they're a part of that and it's a give and take. That's what it's supposed to be, right? I mean, that's what a family is supposed to be. It's supposed to be back and forth, give and take, and that we help each other and lean on each other. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. And uh, we're going to talk about like where this concept comes from and what it really means and how it affects us locally here at Elevate Miami Church. So the first time that we see the mention of the word church. Now, it's not the greatest word, okay? And we'll explain that in a second. But the first time we see the mention of this word is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to Peter. He just admonished him a little bit, right? And then he says to him, and I say, and, and I also say to you, that you, Peter, on, on this rock, so he's calling Peter the rock, right? This is where he names him Cephas. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, the word church there is an anglicized version of the word that the Greeks used, right? Because the New Testament, the, the New Testament is written in Greek. Anybody in here speak Greek or read Greek? Yeah, me neither. So we got to kind of figure out what these things mean because the word church to us just means it's the building more than anything and it's maybe the group of people. But when we think of a church, what do you think of? You think of a building. Maybe you think of a steeple. Maybe you think of a cathedral, right, with lots of glass and light. Maybe you think of just a group of people. We all have these different concepts, but we're going to kind of narrow that down today. So the Greek word that's used there is ecclesia. Pastors talked about it before, but we're going to define it a little bit different today. So a good translation of the word ecclesia would be better in the Spanish, iglesia, right? And I, and I don't speak Spanish, so I think when I was reading about what iglesia means, I think it's more close, I think it's a better translation than church, right, in the English. Because we just think of this, right, the building. We don't think of everything intermixing together. So the definition of ecclesia is I, would, I will build my open, excuse me, the definition of ecclesia is an open, participatory, interactive assembly of people called out of self-focus and into the pursuit of God's business. So if we were to translate that verse again, a better way to do it would be, I will build my open participatory interactive assembly of people called out of self-focus and into the pursuit of God's business on you. Right? So for those of us who don't speak Spanish and don't speak Greek, right, or a language that better interpreted that, to us it's kind of a revelation. To me it was and how interconnected things should really be. 
Well, what does it mean, right? It means that the assembly should be called out of self, right? So we're moving from ourself towards others, right? And towards the Lord, okay? In an open, participatory, this is a participatory church for the most part, right? And a, excuse me, interactive manner. So one of the things that you see a lot in churches today, especially in Pentecostal or in non-denominational uh, free will churches, you see a lot of groupings, right? You see a lot of groups and, and things doing, you know, a lot of ministries here and there, but are they really interacting in the way that they should? Where do we get all this from? Is, is, is church, right, the first example of that? Is that where all of the genesis of all of this? No. It really starts back at Abraham. So 2,000 years before Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 18 in the first century, we have Abraham is the father, right, of the nation of Israel. His descendants become the nation of Israel, which is what? A family, right? It's out of one couple, you end up getting many. At one point, several million. Now, I don't do the math on things like that. Math is not my strong suit. So when it comes to how the reproduction works and how long that takes, that's not me. But it takes several generations to get to millions, right? So look around and, and see how that kind of comes to us. So in Genesis chapter 8, verse 18, this is the Lord saying, Since Abraham so surely shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Why would everybody in the earth be blessed because of Abraham? Because the nation that he's going to put forth is going to sow goodness into the world. So just from one man he will end up, and his descendants, affecting the world, right? In Genesis 22, 18, again, it says, In your seed, this, he's talking again to Abraham, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay? So because he did what God told him to do, all the nations, again, will be blessed. That seems like a strange concept to us, right? We don't really understand how much our actions affect everything around us, just as a single individual. Think about different points in your life, and if you had done something different, how would that have gone? If you hadn't married that person, how would your, would your life have gone? Your children wouldn't be here that you have now, right? If you hadn't made a decision to pursue this degree to get this job so that you can support your family at this level, your whole life, your lifestyle, and everything would be different. Your parents, think about your parents. Had they chosen not to have children, you wouldn't be here. Your whole line wouldn't be here. We don't really think about the effects of what we do on that scale. We just live our life for the most part, right? I mean, let's be brutally honest here. That's, that's generally how things work. So, what came out of Abraham with this, right? So he does what God tells him to do. He moves forward and he creates this nation after a few generations, right? So you have the nation of Israel now. How, how does that relate to us? So if you read your New Testament, you find out how it relates to us and who can be a part of that, right? So we are grafted into that because we have been saved through Jesus, right? 
So in John chapter 1, verse 12, Jesus says, but as many, excuse me, John says, but as many have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. We talk a lot about identity here and what your identity is. As a child of God, as a adopted, grafted in heir, we are a part of that legacy. Furthermore, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 29, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promises. So what does that mean? That means that there's no race, there's no gender, there's no ethnicity, age is not an issue, social backgrounds. We do not isolate because <coughs> anyone because all believers are part of the family of Christ. If you look around this church, I think we do a pretty good job of that. This is one of the, one of the most diversified environments I've been in in a long time. We have people from all backgrounds. We have people from multiple nations in this place. We do a pretty good job of that. But we have to understand that it doesn't just stay with us. It goes to everybody. This is for everybody, right? Not just Miami, not just America, not just the Western Hemisphere. It's for the entire world. We have to get our mindset in place for that. God is the Father, and all of the believers are his children. Those who do not believe are not his children. So when somebody says... Well, you know, we're all just children of God. No, that's not true. Unless you have accepted Christ, you are not a child of God, and you do not get those benefits. Just because you grew up going to church with Grandma in Sunday school, and you didn't do anything, you didn't make a decision, you don't further that relationship, that doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he cares for you, and he wants you to be a child, but you're not until you make that decision, and he will freely adopt you. So just as Israel was one big extended family, so are we, right? The church, universal, and Christians in general, right? Now, we might squabble a little bit. That's what families do, right? We squabble about this and that. We squabble about, you know, uh, the Trinity, and we squabble about how, how communion works and whether or not it's a, a physical transformation into the body and blood of Jesus, right, between different denominations. We squabble about whether or not you should only have a piano and no drums, right, and drums are, are of the devil. These are things that happen in various denominations, right? It's pretty interesting when you get into it. We squabble about whether or not you should pray on your knees at an altar or whether an altar is even necessary. So as a church family universal, we squabble about these things. Hopefully here you have a better idea of how we, how we view things, that some of that isn't really, doesn't really matter, okay? But that's one aspect of being a, of a family, right? But there are other aspects, thank Jesus, because I don't like fighting all the time, right? It's just exhausting. So did you know that Jesus declared who his family was? In Matthew chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, this, is, this happened, so this is early in Jesus' ministry, and his family's starting to freak out. His brothers don't understand. If you didn't know he had brothers, he did. Okay, He had other brothers. Mary had other children after him. So his brothers are starting to worry that he's gone off the deep end, that he's crazy, right? that he should be locked up in the loony bin. 
and uh, for some reason, his mother is with them when they come. So somebody says to him, uh, hey, what's going on? You know, your, your mother and your brother are, brothers are here. And he points to his disciples and those around him, right? And, he, and it's not just the 12. There's more there. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my sister, and my brothers. So he's separating himself. He's, he's making a declaration right then and there that the physical family is not who he's associated with. His spiritual family is who he's associated with. Pastor Kevin talks about it all the time. About blood relation doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's when you're grafted in to the blood of Jesus that now you can be a part of your real family because that was the original design, right? <clears throat> Additionally, we're citizens of the kingdom. So it's not just, you know, the group and, and we're here and local and that's it. And, you know, we fight with these guys. It, some people treat church like it's gangs, like it's gang culture, right? Like we can't, we can't associate with them. They wear different colors. They're a little different. We can't associate with them. And we fight about it. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. We're all going to the same purpose. Let's work together. As citizens of the kingdom in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 and 20, it says, consequently, he's, he's talking to, this is Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's key, members of his household. In order to be the mem a member of a king's household, you have to be extremely loyal and trustworthy. You have to be close to, that fam to the family or the king himself. To be considered a member of the, f of the household is a great honor. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. If we're not looking to that and being citizens of the kingdom and then being part of our local church and who our spiritual family is, what are we doing? We have to keep in mind that our job, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail shortly, that our job here as Christians is not out there. It's not the world in terms of gaining uh, fame and fortune. It's not, you know, how much I can work until I work myself to death. It's not the next vacation. It's not uh, whatever's coming down the pipe at work. You know, that, that's all aside. Do we need those things to live? Yes. But that should not be our focus. Does anybody know what systems theory is? Anybody ever heard of it? One, one person? That's it? One person? Okay. So systems theory is the idea that everything works together, right? Your, your body, for example, is, is both a system and a system of systems. Your body doesn't work without a heart, right? It doesn't work without a brain. It doesn't work without lungs. It can work without some things. You can work without feet. You can work without hands. You can't work without blood, right? So you have key components that make it possible for you to be alive. Those are individual systems. You as a body are a system of systems. Alex, can you go put that slide up, please? So here, I'm gonna come over here. 
So this is a diagram of kind of how things work here. It's not all-encompassing, okay? So in the middle, we have the members of Elevate Miami Church. On the outsides, each corner of the, the triangle, we have the leaders, we have the ministries, and we have the groups. This does not work without all of this, right? The groups don't happen without members and leaders. The ministries don't happen without members and leaders. If we only have leaders and ministries, there's no members, what are we doing? Who are we ministering to, right? It's like going to a lecture hall and being the only one there, okay? Ministries don't really work without the groups either, and the groups support the ministries. See how that works? So as a church, we are both a system and a system of systems. Thank you, Alex. It's important for us to understand the interdependency that we have on each other because that's how we grow and that's how we get better. One of the things that we have to do when interacting together as a family is be devoted and committed to each other. One way that we do that is through church functions and going to church functions. A perfect example, coming up in January, we have our church picnic. We've been doing it for a few years now. It's a relaxing time. It's, it's just a time for us to come and have some fun. Another example of that is Firestarters coming up in October. If you haven't been to Firestarters, I really encourage you to come. It's a great class. It's a good primer. Um, it's about six to eight weeks, and you're going to learn a lot, right? And if you've been before, come on back, because you can always learn something new, and you can always help those who haven't been before and mentor them a little bit. So taking part in these functions is a big part of being a part of the system of the church. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10 uh, through 13, this is Paul writing to the Romans. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So this means, again, this is putting self aside, right? To honor others. Never be lacking in zeal. That means be excited, right? But keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share, the, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. So locally, right, we can do this, right? This is how we learn to rely on each other, to love one another. There's going to be spats. We understand that, right? That, that's just the way it is. I mean, there's a very famous issue here that happens in the New Testament between Paul and Peter, right? They have it out. I mean, they have a knockdown, drag out argument in the middle of Jerusalem. But they were able to heal that and move on. That happens from time to time. It's called being a family, right? If you have a family where you don't argue with anybody and nobody pushes back against you, I want to know your secret because we can, we can package it up and sell it. We'll all get rich, okay? Furthermore, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is Luke writing, he says, they devoted themselves, he's talking, about the, um, he's talking about the local church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' uh, teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. I don't know what it is. There's something about eating together and having a meal and the conversation that comes out of that that melds people together. That's why when we do things like uh, seders, Passover seders, I would encourage you to go to go to one of those. It's a good time to get together. If you're a volunteer, if you're not, you can sign up over there. If you're currently a volunteer, every December, the first Friday in December, we have a volunteer uh, dinner here. 
It's a thank you from the pastors and the staff to the volunteers who make this possible. That's a, it's a great time. I know many of you have been there. But it's a good time of fellowship and learning and meeting new people. Because what we try to encourage people to do is to sit with people they don't know. So that way, the table's a little bit diverse and you can learn. Invite somebody out to lunch. Invite somebody over to your house, right? Get to know each other. Fellowshipping with one another is extremely important. So also in Acts chapter 2, this is verses 46 through 47. Granted, we, we can't exactly do this the way that they did it, but it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, it's not practical for us necessarily to be in church every day, right? But you can take some time every day and set up your day with the Lord. And you can maybe meet with somebody, even if it's just your spouse, for a little bit of time that day. Have a conversation. Pray a little bit. Set yourself, right? Read your Bible that day. And then we get into things like groups, right? We have a lot of various groups here. Like you saw on there, granted it's not all-encompassing, but we have a men's group. We have a women's group. We have affinity groups. There's a creative group. There's all sorts of life groups and home groups, right? We use all sorts of different names. But the idea of that is to bring people together, hopefully locally, right, if they're physically close to each other, then they can meet in one house, and have not really a Bible study. Maybe it is a Bible study. Maybe it's a prayer group like Daphne runs. Maybe it's the men's group. Maybe it's, you know, the, the what's the real deal, right? Or the yah. Check out these groups. Become a part of them. Go. Have fun. Enjoy. Learn from people your own age, right? Meet people who are a little bit older and wiser. One of the best things that we did when we, when we came to this church was uh, Hank and Millie, who are, who are off uh, up in Michigan right now, uh, they hosted a, a life group at their house. We went there. My work schedule made it a little bit hard for me to go, but wife and kids went, and it was amazing. We have a great relationship with them because of that. We had some interesting conversations. We learned a lot from them, and they're a little older than us, you know, and, and have a little bit more life experience, and they were able to help us through a few things that we were dealing with at various times, um, and it's been amazing. Those relationships don't get built seeing each other for five minutes between songs here. Those relationships get built by going out and doing things together, eating together, being in those home groups, going out and throwing axes. Right, Rudy? Okay. There's a lot of things that we can do here. Another way is that, uh, that we are a family is we need to serve one another. This is what we call in-reach ministries, Right? Everybody knows about outreach, right? All you hear is outreach, right? Evangelism explosion and things like that. But nobody really talks about inreach. Inreach is looking after yourself and those around you, right? So for the church, that's looking after its members and the, and the people that make up its body and congregation. So inreach is a very important thing. As a family, we have to look to each other for support. If anybody at this point doesn't know, we just had a major... Um, Loss, I was going to say catastrophe. 
Tom's integration to this church from close to day one has impacted it more than you know. Most of the curriculum that you will get in the classes that are coming for the next probably three years are his. And we've been working, I was working very closely with him. This is the first time I've really felt it. So <clears throat> we have to support each other during that time. Some of us were able to go to the funeral. Um, it was, it was a, a lovely time to see everybody express uh, the effect that he had on their lives. And uh, it made me think. When something like that happens, we have to rely on each other. Yes, we need to rely on God. But we help carry each other through those experiences. We've had a lot of other things happen. We've had members with cancer. I got some. Thank you. We've had members with cancer. We've had members uh, spend a long time in the hospital. We've had members uh, have issues that they needed support for, and we've been able to provide that. That's what a family does. And it's important for us to come together when those occasions happen. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is the second coming, right? So, one of the things that talks about there is the importance of the assembly and the importance of coming together. If we don't come together, how many of you guys have spent a long period away from church? I have. I was deployed for 15 months uh, in Iraq in, two, in 2007 and 2008. And we were operational pretty much the entire time. So going to a church service was not really an option. Every once in a while, the chaplain would come around. I'd get to have a great conversation. But that was pretty much the extent of it. Um, and I wasn't exactly surrounded by other believers. So when I came back and coming back to church, it was, it's a relief. Even now when I'm gone for a couple of weeks, um, I was doing a thing a little while ago where I'd be gone for, for two weeks at a time. And coming back, it's amazing the difference that that makes in the way that you feel, your attitude. Even if you're, you're, you're still reading and you're focusing and you're, and you're praying, something about coming together with others for the edification and worship of Jesus is personally refreshing. If you know folks who are maybe wishy-washy, right? Well, you know, I've been hurt by the church. A lot of people have. If you haven't been hurt by the church, let me know. I'm sure we can arrange something. It's, it's not, it's, it's common. That's what happens, right? It's a family. You get hurt by your family, right? You get disappointed. You know, maybe pastor forgot to say hi and he didn't, and he didn't notice you because he's got a thousand other things going on. And it just happened, okay? I'm sorry. That's, it happens, okay? Maybe somebody spoke a little gruffly to you. Well, maybe they need a little bit of encouragement, right? You don't know what kind of stress they're under. I had a friend tell me years ago that one of the things that you have to remember when you're interacting with somebody is you have no idea what they've been through today up to this point. You don't know. It's a good, this is a really good attitude to take 
when you're being pulled over by a cop. Because you don't know where they just came from, right? If they just came from a homicide and they're a little screwed up, right, and their head's not on right, and I know a lot of cops, um, that attitude may come forth. And your attitude will probably not help that, you know? But just in dealing with people in general, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they've been through. Unless you really know that person intimately, you probably don't understand what's happening in their life. Keep that in mind, right? That's where it says to err on the side of love. So furthermore, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in good, excuse me, in doing good for the proper time. We will reap a harvest if, you, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Right? The idea is that we should be operating in love anyway, especially when we're dealing with you know, those in our own circles, but outside as well. Okay, so we talked about inreach, so let's talk about outreach, right? Everybody knows what outreach is, right? Evangelism explosion, knocking door to door, handing out tracts. I hate that. It's, I am not a salesman, right? I don't like cold calling people. I don't like knocking on doors when I don't know what's behind it. Maybe that's my army side coming back because I don't know what's there. You know, it's, I, don't, I don't like doing that. I didn't like doing it when I did papers as a, as a kid, right? Delivering papers and then trying to get, collect money for that. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now, right? And we did this as a church when I was a kid. It, I never understood it, right? I would rather get rid of the tracks, throw them in the garbage. Yeah, I delivered them and go play in the woods, right? No, that's not what I want to do. And to be honest with you, I don't know how effective it is. But what you can do personally for outreach is be a good person and show them Jesus in you. That's probably the best witness that you can be. You may at some point get an opportunity to actually talk to them. Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you listen to the Holy Spirit and he's like, hey, pay for their coffee. Pay for their groceries, their gas, whatever. I don't know. That's where you have to be sensitive to the Spirit and listen to what the Spirit is telling you. But I do know that Jesus came to serve and to save us. And we're supposed to emulate that, so that's what we need to do, right? So in Philippians, this is Paul again writing to the church of Philippi. This is in chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? So he's putting away his equality with God to become man. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, right? If you look at Jesus, what's he doing? He's constantly serving. He might be doing it from a position of leadership, but he's constantly serving, right? He's spending hours a day healing people, casting out devils, teaching his disciples how to do these things and what they need to learn before he departs. This is how we should operate. 
He didn't stop right there with his local church, right? It's not like he didn't stay in Galilee, right? He didn't stay with his, with his 12 buddies and just hang out and play video games, you know, and minister to them. What did he do? He went out. Now, granted, he's generally working on foot, right? So you're not going too, too far, but he's staying within the confines of the local area, but he's moving out, right? He's ever expanding the circle. It gets to the point that finally the influence starts to spread, right? Out of Galilee, and then it goes to Capernaum, and then it starts moving, and eventually it hits places like Samaria that are kind of off limits to Jews, but are there anyway. And then it hits what's called the Decapolis, right? That's a, a grouping of 10 Greek cities that were formed during the Greek occupation of Israel several hundred years earlier. So he's not just sticking with his own people group. He's kind of moving in and out, and he's moving through them, right, and spreading the message. And this confuses the Jews. Why? Because they think it's only for them. They don't realize that it can go forward. And then Jesus finally breaks that barrier. We have a lot of barriers that we don't go into, right? There's a lot of places where we're like, well, we, you know, we can't do that because of this or because of that. You can do that on an individual level, on your own. Now, I know I work in a job where I can't openly talk about my faith, right? Uh, I risk my, my livelihood if I do that. But the way I operate can say a lot. And if somebody comes and asks me, that's my opportunity. But I can't openly proselytize, right? I can't openly start preaching Jesus at the workplace. Now, if we go out and we have a meal, you know, after work or something like that, or we go golfing, um, you know, we can talk then, but not at the workplace, okay? These are different things that you can do. And it got so big after Jesus died that in Thessalonica, this is in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, in Thessalonica, the Jews started referring to the Christians as those who have turned the world upside down. Do you want to turn the world upside down? Right? Jesus wants to turn the world upside down. They were able to do it in the first century. What's our problem? We're a little lackadaisical sometimes. We're a little lazy sometimes, right? We got this going on, we got that going on. Sometimes we have to reorder our priorities. Before Jesus left, he's meeting with the disciples one last time. This, this takes place both in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16. He's talking with them, and he's kind of telling them what to expect. And then in verse 16 and 20 of Matthew 28, this is what happens. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. How at this point you can do that? I don't really know. I mean, I haven't experienced that when, you know, the Lord of heaven shows himself to me with his hands and his side and his feet so I can actually see it. I don't know. I haven't experienced that. I, I feel like there would be a, a very small margin of doubt at that point, but I guess there's some, okay? Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's telling them, look, everything that I have, all the power that I have, I've given to you. Go, use it. Make disciples. Preach my crucifixion. Preach my resurrection. Preach the blood and what it can do for them and give them salvation. Yet, some of them doubted up to that point. 
we all have doubts, right? And the farther removed you get from something, the greater the doubts probably are and the harder it is to believe, right? One of the big things that skeptics say, one of their uh, major arguments to the Gospels is, well, we're 2,000 years removed from that. How do we know that that's actually what happened? Well, part of it is faith, right? Part of it is we have amazing historical evidence. Uh, more, we have more historical evidence for Jesus than we do for Homer, the guy who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, okay? For several Roman emperors, we have more historical evidence for Jesus than we do for them. Yet, nobody questions that, okay? We have to deal with these things. And sometimes that takes a little bit of research, and sometimes that takes uh, a little bit of seeking the Lord. But once you do, and you can gird yourself with that, and you can arm yourself with that, it's time to move forward. And that's the purpose of what we do here. That's the purpose of us coming together as a family and doing these teachings, whether it's here from the pulpit or it's in these classes like foundations. The purpose is to arm and equip you with everything you need to move forward. Now, we're going to do some of this corporately, right? There's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe, and soon you're going to hear some of this, but I'll give you a little taste today. We want to buy some land. Pastor Kevin has talked about that before. One of the things that we want to do with that is we want to put a daycare there and eventually a school. Why? Because if we can start with the little ones as they grow older, they'll understand. Right? This craziness that's happening in, in the schools, this is why my wife and I years ago decided to homeschool. And it was bad back then in 2008 when we, or 2009 when we had our first kid. And we were like, yeah, we probably don't want to do that. So we started looking at homeschooling. It's worse now. Some of the guys that I work with talk about the stuff that, that their kids are dealing with in school, and I'm shocked. It's, and here in Florida, right? I mean, Florida is, is a pretty, yes, it is evil. But Florida is a pretty conservative state, right? So you're like, yeah, you know, it's, it should be okay. No, it's here too. So don't, don't think that just because you're here, you're safe. But we want to start there. And then there's a few things, other things we want to do. We want to start, you know, looking at other ministries and opportunities like homeless outreach, right? Local outreach. Um, some of us have gone out and we've done uh, street evangelism. Um, he's not here today, but Juan is the king of street evangelism, okay? He is the bold, one of the boldest people I know in that. I take a different approach. I look for the Holy Spirit to identify somebody and then I go and talk to that person. Um, so we have some things that are coming down. We want to start making some more of these groups that go out and do things, but not just that, but we want to sow into you guys so that you can sow out as well. And then as a group together, we move forward, and what can we do as a whole, right? Anybody know what it says in Ecclesiastes about cords? It says a cord of, of three strands is not easily broken, right? The idea there and it, earlier it relates to battle, one person on their own doesn't stand much of a chance. Two can fight back to back, and three are better. Why? Because you can cover more angles, right? You have a greater chance of surviving. One of the things that we have to do moving forward is we have to come together around these projects that we're going to start. Um, so I ask that you guys pray about these things and and speak life into where we're moving in the future. We are going to do a vision casting here in a few, I think it's going to be in November, and uh, you're going to learn a lot more. But in the meantime, we're working out some of the details. One of the things 
uh, that we're going to need from you guys is we're going to need your prayer and your participation. Um, so just start now. And start asking God, where do you want me to go with this? What do you want me to do? What are we going to do? Right? And how can I help your church move forward? On that note, if there's anybody here that hasn't ever accepted Jesus or viewing uh, online, if you haven't accepted Jesus, we're going to go through a quick prayer so that you can do that and that you can join the ranks of this community, both locally and corporately, as the church united. So let's pray. Everybody, please. Dear Jesus, I want to know you as my Savior. I ask you to come into my life. I willingly give up my old self and ask you to make me a new creation. I recognize your lordship over my life and freely accept your reign. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's uh, one more time. This is for, for all of us here. Uh, repeat after me. Father, I want to serve you. I willingly offer myself to your service and spreading the message of the gospel. I give you permission to use me and identify divine appointments with those who need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here. Those of you online, thank you for uh, putting up with me today. All right, so let me bless you guys, and then we'll go. There's a prayer team over here. All the sign-ups are over there. You can rush to the foundations page and sign up for foundations. Father, we just thank you for the uh, assembly that you've gathered here today and for those who've been able to uh, take part. I ask that you would just bless them in their journey as they move forward, that you give them peace and you give them uh, your joy. In the name of Jesus, amen.